Thank you. It's good to be with y'all. We are in Matthew. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. If you are new around here, as Nate said, my name is Kenny. I have the privilege of being the pastor at Mission Way. Whether you're new here, maybe watching online or listening for the first time, uh, I want to welcome you. We are going through the entire book of Matthew, which um, is almost as intimidating as it sounds. Uh, The good news is we're kind of taking it in sections. And so um, we're We're in a section that we're calling the early years, which really focuses in on that time between the birth of Jesus and the the beginning of his ministry that Matthew records for us. Uh, This section is going to end today, and then we're going to take a two-week break where we're going to focus on a short passage in Colossians that we're calling Stand Firm for two weeks. Um, And then after that, we're going to begin the Sermon on the Mount, um, which is going to be a great time together. But also, if you have ever read through the Sermon on the Mount, you know that there's going to be some really challenging times as well in that. So I want to encourage you to pray for that. I want to encourage you to not only pray uh, for myself as I pray about and prepare for that that section of Matthew, but also pray for your own heart and life um, because we're going to be challenged in a lot of ways as we move through that. Um, If you haven't yet gotten this, we've been kind of putting out in our e-news, there is available on Amazon for like five or six dollars what's called an ESV scripture journal. Um, I think other translations do it as well, but the one that I'm familiar with is the ESV where they have just the book of Matthew, and on one page, one side of the page, there's the scripture. On the other side, um, there's a place to take notes, which is a great opportunity to engage deeper uh, with Matthew. I've, I've, I've done that, where I just, I just take the book, I take the text and read it and pray through it um, and take some notes, ask some questions as well, moving through that. So I would challenge you to pick up one of those if you have not done that yet. Um, you can get that easily on Amazon, other places as well, I think um, you can find that. So we're in Matthew chapter 4 today, verses 23 through 25, as I said, closing out this section. And really, today's passage is not a specific story um, like we often have in Matthew. It's really an overview or a summary. Um, You could consider this in some ways a summary of, of all of Jesus' earthly ministry, but more likely, it's a summary of a specific section of it. And so we just get a little snippet here in just a few verses that Matthew gives us. If you're interested and you're taking notes, you can go over to Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 39, and Mark gives a lot more detail of some of the things that happen in this section that Matthew kind of give us, gives us an overview on. But Matthew starts this whole thing with a pretty amazing statement. He says in verse 23, and he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee. Now, I can tell you're not impressed with that initially. The reason that's an amazing statement is because Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us there were, give or take, about 200 towns and cities in Galilee at this time with population ranging from as low as 300,000 to over a million people. And it says specifically that Jesus went throughout all Galilee. Now, it's important, and we'll actually take note of this a little bit later as well, but that word all specifically literally means whole or complete. Now, there's a few different words that Scripture uses for the word all, and sometimes it doesn't actually mean all. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But this does. This means all of it. Now, Jesus may have just stopped in briefly some of these towns, but it's very likely that through the course of his ministry, he at least stopped in each one of these towns in Galilee, which is why I think we see statements from Mark. We see this all throughout the Gospels, but one particularly in Mark, it says that rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And again, this is during the same time that Matthew's recording for us here where Jesus is going throughout all Galilee. There were so many times that Jesus would would just get away from his ministry and he would go by himself and he would pray. 
which this isn't really the primary point of our message today, but I thought this was so important to touch on. One of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther is this. He said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. And this was Jesus' mindset. Jesus was so busy. People were all the time pressing in on him. There were times that he would be in a house and there would literally be thousands of people standing outside the door waiting on him. Sometimes they wouldn't wait. They'd cut the roof open and drop their friend down to him, right? He was so busy and so occupied with the needs of people, but he always, always pulled away to pray. Because for him, prayer wasn't just something you throw in there if you have time. Prayer was central and vital. His relationship to his father, his his time in prayer was absolutely essential for him. And I got to thinking about my own life, and I remembered that so often the first thing to go in my life is my prayer, right? When things get busy. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. That when life gets really busy, I think when I have time, I'll get to prayer. But this should be essential for us. Again, I go back to that quote from Luther. I I thought, how profound is that? He's so busy and he would wake up so early in the morning. It's just one example. And he would spend three hours in prayer. And he would focus in on having that relationship, that communion with his father. And then I got to thinking even further, how often do I do I pray for my own family in this way, right? Like when we're in seasons of busyness and we have a week that just seems to, to, to almost smother us with things that we have to do along with just the daily task of being parents and, and, and husband and wife, how often do I pray for my wife in this way? Wives, how often do you pray for your husbands in this way? Husbands for your wives, single people, how often do you spend more time working out your schedule than you do working out your spiritual life in prayer? There's another quote that I don't remember who said it, but it just came to me up here that prayer is not preparation for the work. Prayer is the work. And that was Jesus' focus as well. As busy as he was, and again, this is just a side note. This is for free today. This isn't the point. But as busy as he was, he would break away and he would pray. It was important to him. And as I think about the ministry that he did, I think that's central that we understand that for Jesus, it wasn't just about being busy and occupied with ministry and work. It was about his relationship with his father. And I think that's a good place to start as we do look at so much of what he did. So I want to read Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read verses 23 through 25 in its entirety. And then I've got some observations I want to make. It says this, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, which I'm sorry, pause really quickly. That, that's important. If you don't know what a synagogue is, Um, It was different than the temple. So the Jews had the temple in which they would go to and worship at, but the temple was in Jerusalem. And so in all of their, most of their other cities, they would build synagogues where they would come in and somebody would read from the book of the law and they would talk about it and they would discuss it and they would pray. So Jesus would often go into the synagogues, teaching there and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now, again, in this overview, we have some really amazing things to think about, and we'll get into it. Think about Jesus going into all these places and healing all these people and doing this great ministry And there's a few things, though, that I want to look at that jump out to me about the character of Jesus in these verses. (coughs) Excuse me. 
I believe all of them, all these aspects of Jesus' character are going to teach us not only how to love and worship him more, but also what our lives and our ministries are supposed to look like as we think about being light in the world and taking the gospel to the people around us. The first thing I noticed, number one this morning, is his balance of word and deed. What I mean by that is Jesus' ministry was not lopsided like ours often is. So we have a tendency, I think all of us to some degree have a tendency to either focus a lot on our our word and, and talking about the gospel and talking about Jesus to the people around us, but neglecting the fruit of the Spirit and neglecting the fact that we've been called to tangibly love the people around us. And the flip side, there's many of us who sometimes get so focused in on the tangible aspects of ministry and love that we forget that we're actually supposed to talk about the gospel, not just put it on display in our lives. And there's a balance here, and Jesus seemed to meet that. We see, again, in verse 23, he was teaching in their synagogues, and he was proclaiming the gospel, and he was healing every disease and every affliction. He wasn't just teaching and preaching. He was also healing and doing ministry. He was among the people. He taught and he healed. He preached and he dwelt among them and served them and loved them. First, I want to point out, I I do think it's important that Matthew makes a distinction between teaching and proclaiming. That may seem like he's just kind of saying the same thing in a different way, but this is, there is a difference here. I would say there's a difference in teaching and preaching can even be the use that you want, you, you, the word that you use here. Teaching is really digging deep into God's word and the things about theology and his, and his character and, and preaching is more of a proclamation, right? Teaching is what was often done in the synagogues where they would read the law and they would, they would expound on what was being read But the proclamation was what we've seen John the Baptist and Jesus already do, where they would go out and they would proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we too need both of these in our lives because we need to be able to study and know the scriptures to talk about it with the people around us, to explain the things of God. But we also need to remember that the message of the gospel is a message that we're called to proclaim, not just know about, but actually proclaim into the culture because that's where the power is not in in us talking about the gospel. The power is in the gospel itself and the gospel proclaimed. And Jesus would do both. It's a little bit like parenting um, in that sometimes with my daughter and one day, my son as he gets older, we, we wanna sit down and get on their level and really explain things and make sure they understand and make sure they've got the concept, right? But there are times in parenting that warrants for more of a proclamation, right? Like do this or suffer the consequences. And there's a difference there. And, and there's, there's a difference there in our approach in ministry as well when we have to be willing to teach but also proclaim the gospel. And obviously both of those being done in love. Maybe the last thing I'll say there is preaching is a proclamation in order that those listening would repent and turn to Jesus to find salvation. And teaching is more of an instructing in order that those listening would learn. But even Jesus' teaching wasn't just like a seminary classroom. It wasn't like showing up and he's just giving you all these cool facts about the Bible and the law and, make, and just astonishing everybody with how much he knew. No, they were astonished. They were amazed, Mark says, Mark one twenty seven, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? So they had heard their scribes and Pharisees teach for so many years in the synagogues, but there was something different about Jesus. When he would walk into the synagogue and teach them, there was an authority that he carried with him it was obvious to those around him. We'll talk more later, but even the miracles that he performed continue to affirm that. 
Because they saw not only was he teaching these things with authority, but he had some sort of authority over disease and illness as well. Because he was going about, as I said, not just in word, not just preaching and teaching, but Matthew says he was also healing. And let me focus on a few words here because Matthew says some pretty strong things in verses 23 and 24. It says healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So they brought him all the sick and he healed them. Now go back to what I said at the beginning, that there's over, give or take 200 towns and cities with anywhere from 300,000 to a million people and all of them are coming to him and every sick person in this entire region and he's healing all of them? Here's where again, the original language is important for us. Because earlier when it says that he went throughout all Galilee, there's a Greek word used there that's different than the Greek word here that's used for every and all. And the Greek word here is the word pas, which, which literally means every kind of. Not necessarily, literally all. You hear some people say all means all and that's all that all means. That sounds cute, but that's not always true in, in scripture. And we can bring up many cases where, where the word all is used, but it really just means every kind of. So you would actually read this better as he healed every kind of disease and every kind of affliction. Now, I'm not trying to lessen Jesus' ministry. Is it possible he literally healed every sick person in that region? Absolutely. It's absolutely possible he did that. But it's, it's also possible by reading the text that what we see Jesus doing is taking every kind of disease, every kind of illness, demonstrating his power over all sickness, over everything. The point here is that Jesus' ministry proclaimed the gospel in word, but also demonstrated the gospel in love with works of healing and service to the people, and our should as well. James points out in James 2, pretty well-known passage, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is it if we talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. We talked a lot recently in the past few weeks about, about our proclamation of the gospel, about telling people about the gospel, but let's not become lopsided in thinking that's all we are to do. We're also called to love. We're called to serve the people around us. And so there's two questions that come from this for me. As I think about Jesus' ministry being in word and deed, the first one is, when's the last time that you demonstrated the love of the gospel that you proclaim? When's the last time that you loved someone around you in a specific, tangible way that demonstrated the gospel that you say that you proclaim. And on the flip side, the, the second question to that is, when's the last time you proclaim the gospel that you seek to demonstrate? Because we need both. We must have both. We must be able to proclaim the gospel but also demonstrate the love of the gospel. James says, what good is it if you can say to somebody, be warmed and be filled, but you don't actually give them what they need. And in the context there, he's saying, look, if you got faith in God, that's actually gonna show itself in works. You say that you're a Christian, you say that you believe these things, then what God is going to do through the Holy Spirit in you is produce the fruit of that faith, the works of that faith. Jesus ministered in word and in deed. Obviously, we don't have the power as Jesus did to at will cast out demons and heal diseases, but we are called to make sure that our gospel is not without love and our love is not without gospel. Because if you have one, you don't have the other, you have neither, by the way. If you have love without gospel, you don't really have love. 
If you have gospel without love, you don't really have gospel. They go hand in hand. The ministry, ministry of Christ teaches us, gives us an example on how to serve in that way as well. So let's talk a little bit more about the healings that Jesus performed, because I think this is really the, the driving force that Matthew's getting at. He, he emphasizes the healing that Jesus did over so many people in these massive crowds that were coming to him. And so that's our second point. The second observation is we see Jesus' power to heal. We see that his ministry was in word and in deed, but we also see his power to heal. Matthew gives us a list here, and he basically covers every category of physical ailment that they may have encountered in this day. You can, anything that people would have been experiencing that was related to illness and disease can fall under one of these categories. Let me read them for you again. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. We're gonna very briefly look at every one of these categories just so we begin to understand the scope of the power of Jesus, how there's nothing that he's not able to heal. First, the sick. This is a general word used for those who are sick and suffering. It's an obvious word. There's nothing really deep in meaning here, but this is those who are dealing with physical ailments. And then Matthew gets a little bit more specific, and he says those with various diseases and pains, this becomes, this is the, the symptoms, the suffering that people experience because of the sickness they may have. So he's, he's healing them not only from, from their diseases, but from the pains that they experience because of that. Those oppressed by demons. Now, stop there briefly because sometimes the accusation is made of people in the first century that they thought everything was demon possession, right? Like if it was something they didn't understand, they just chalked it up to demon possession and they moved on. But I think it's important that Matthew puts demon possession in the list with all these other things because he's saying there is the reality of demon possession and we'll get into some stories of that in Matthew, but there's also the reality of sickness that people deal with. They didn't chalk everything up to the spiritual category, but they did understand that there is a spiritual realm that we deal with. Those having seizures, literally the word there um, is actually translated as moonstruck, um, which often referred to epileptics. Um, this was something that they encountered often in this day and time, and nobody really knew what to do about it, and Jesus was healing them. Paralytics, which was another condition that no doctor or medicine of this time really knew what to do anything about, and he healed them all. Every kind of ailment that came to him. We see the power of Christ over every affliction. And I think there's another reason why we have this long list, is because sometimes, even today, the accusation is made of Jesus that it was all tricks and magic. It was like smoke and mirrors. He did some things that impressed people, but it was, it was really easy to do that because there, were, there was trickery involved here. But these are conditions that everybody saw, everybody knew about. When a paralytic came to Jesus, everybody knew that paralytic and that they had been paralyzed, some of them from birth. They'd seen them begging on the side of the road. And then they would come to Jesus and they would pick up their bed and walk. We see the story of the blind men in John chapter nine who had been blind from birth and everybody knew he was blind from birth. And Jesus healed him, things that they couldn't explain. This wasn't trickery. This wasn't magic. These were actual healings that took place. We see a stark difference between the healings of Jesus and the, the, the healings of so-called faith healers today. Now, I am not, please understand me very clearly, I am not saying that healings and miracles do not happen today. I believe that miracles absolutely happen. 
But I also believe that there are a lot of false prophets and false healers in our world who go out and they, they find people, they strategically select people that's going to allow them to manipulate and make it seem like they perform some kind of healing. They do things like leg extensions. They do things like healing pain that nobody else can see or know about, but it kind of goes away for a little bit. But nothing's ever verified. It was different with Jesus. Because he didn't go and select people to heal. People came to him. They, had their, they, they heard that Jesus was healing people, so they brought people to him and they said, he's sick, he needs help, nothing has worked. Can you heal them? And he did. Now, what I don't wanna do is focus on false healings. What I do wanna do is focus on the one who is the great physician, the one who is able to heal everything that we experience, who has power over all of these things. And I think this is, once again, my tendency, maybe yours as well. I think sometimes when we see the counterfeit out there and false healings and false prophets, sometimes we begin to get skeptical and we wonder, does, any of, does Jesus ever really heal miraculously? And then we begin to neglect taking our needs before him because we're so afraid of drifting off into thinking that some, some kind of miraculous thing can happen and then we forget to bring our needs before Jesus the one who is always able to heal. Now, he does not always heal. We talk about that. There are times that Jesus does not heal, but he's always able to. And he always invites us to bring our infirmities and our needs and our weakness to him. And in the case of Paul, Paul had a thorn in the flesh that we don't know a lot about. Some, some health issue, it seems most likely, that he begged the Lord to take from him. And what did God say to him? Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. What we need to understand as we come to Jesus and ask him for healing is what J.C. Ryle points out. I love this quote. Talking of Jesus said, he before whom no bodily disease proved incurable. His might is strong enough, is able to cure every ailment of our souls. There is no broken heart that he cannot heal. There is no wound of conscience that he cannot cure. Fallen, crushed, bruised, plague-stricken as we all are by sin, Jesus, by his blood and spirit, can make us whole. What we need to understand about the healings that Jesus performed is Jesus wasn't just performing these kind of one-off healings just to impress the people. The physical healings that Jesus performed were meant to point to the greater reality of the salvation that he was to bring. That he is, he is God over body and soul. He has, he has authority and power to heal what physically ails us, but more importantly, he came to cure what spiritually ails us. That these physical healings meant to point to the fact that he's the one to bring salvation to our souls. And so as we think about our own lives and we struggle with times when God doesn't heal, here's what we get to see. When Jesus came to earth, he performed these healings to point to the fact that he would be the one to ultimately heal our souls. Now we look back to the cross and we look also forward to the day when he's gonna come back and the dead in Christ will rise in him and he will get rid of all disease and all sickness and all sorrow and all pain. And the proof of that is the salvation of our souls. That we have in salvation this proof that God has done what no one could ever do in paying the price for sin and giving us salvation, giving us an opportunity for our soul to be healed and whole pointing to the greater reality that even if in this life physical healing doesn't come, 
there's coming a new heaven and a new earth. We have a new body, free from pain, free from sorrow for all of eternity. Jesus himself talked about this in Luke chapter four. It was one of those times he went into one of the synagogues and the, the person who was head of the synagogue handed Jesus a scroll. It was a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll, Luke says, and found the place where it was written in the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Even in that, we see Jesus talking about the poor and those who are captive, those who are dealing with earthly troubles and sorrows. What did he come to do? He came to proclaim liberty. He came to proclaim good news, the gospel to them. And yes, oftentimes to even relieve them of what ails them in this life, but more importantly, to bring them salvation. More importantly, to heal their soul. He is the great physician of our bodies and souls. He has authority and power over both. And I think that maybe an application for us today is to take a cue from the crowds who came to Jesus and they brought him those who were sick, those who needed healing. And we too need to take our troubles, the sickness that we deal with, the problems that we face and take them to Jesus knowing that he is always able to heal. He's always able to restore. And even in the times that he doesn't do it temporarily in this life, there's coming a day when it will all be gone when he will rid this world of all sorrow. And we know that that day's coming because the Holy Spirit has been given to us in our hearts, sealing us for that day. And if, you've tempted, if you're tempted to think that he's forgotten you, maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you hear this and you see Jesus' ability to heal so many people and all the miracles that he performed in scripture and you go, yeah, but you know, he did that in that day and time and It doesn't seem like he's doing a whole lot of that today and I don't know that he really cares about what's going on in my life. The other observation, our final observation that I wanted us to see this morning is our third point, his compassion. One of the most amazing stories of the compassion of Jesus comes from Matthew chapter 14. Jesus had just heard about the death of John the Baptist at this point, who was his cousin, his his, the forerunner to Christ's ministry, probably even a friend for a portion of their ministry. He hears about the death of John the Baptist and he's obviously sorrowful of that. And so right after that, in Matthew 14, Matthew says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself, which seems like that's what I would do too, right? If I've just heard about the death of a family member, somebody close to me, I'd wanna kinda go be on my own as well. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And that's the point where I would go, nope. (laughs) No, listen, I understand that y'all have needs, but I've been doing a lot for you, and I just need a minute. I I just need to pull away. I've I've gotten this news that really has has hit me hard, and and I just need to be by myself for a minute. That's not what Matthew says Jesus did. He says he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And it doesn't stop there, by the way, because immediately after that, he's teaching them, and then all of a sudden, the the disciples are like, okay, it's been a long day, Jesus. 
You try to get by yourself earlier. Now I think it's time that you do that. Let's send the crowds away. And Jesus goes, but wait a minute, have they eaten anything? And the disciples are like, no, but we can't do anything about that. We don't have any food. There's 5,000 men, close to 10,000 people here, Jesus. I don't know what you plan to do. And that's when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Is on the heels of this. When he had every earthly reason in our perspective to pull away. But he had compassion on them. Later in Matthew, Matthew talks about how Jesus would see the crowds and he would have compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It always drove him to compassion. I think about when I have a remotely busy day, I come home and I think that it's everybody's job to make sure that I feel better, right? So now if my kids are needy, listen, you can't be needy because I had a bad day. If my wife had a hard day, she's not allowed to have a hard day because I had a hard day, right? That's my perspective often. But Jesus never ran out of compassion. He never grew impatient, sinfully impatient with people. He always met the needs of the people around him. Even, and, and this is what we have to remember. We, we talk about Jesus being fully God and able to heal. Let's remember that he's also fully human. He got tired as we do. He got weak and worn out like we do. He got hungry like we do. But he always had compassion for those around him. Jesus was constantly interrupted followed by large crowds with no boundaries and faced with faithless, impatient, selfish people. And his compassion for them never ran dry. You see, our culture of, of self-care flies directly in opposition to this. And I'm not trying to neglect the importance of caring for ourselves, But I think sometimes our idea of self-care is let me make sure that that my tank is completely full all the time before I take care of anybody else around me. I gotta make sure that I take care of me first, always, in every situation. But the compassion of Jesus showed that even when he had needs himself, human, physical needs, he would have compassion on those around him. Never ran dry. I once had the privilege of uh, being a substitute teacher for a few days for a fifth grade class. And um, if you've ever done that before, you quickly recognize just how needy elementary school uh, kids can be. And they, they have legitimate needs all the time. And it, listen, I, w- I loved it, I enjoyed it thoroughly, but I would go home worn out because it's, just, it's constant. You're trying to educate and teach, but you're also having to deal with the, the constant needs that come up. You multiply that by the thousands, and this is what Jesus was experiencing every day people with needs coming before him, never letting him rest. They see him go in a desolate place by himself. They're like, nope, Jesus is over there. Let's go to the other side. The boat just left. We can meet him if we get there fast enough. They almost never left him alone, and he continued to have compassion. See, for Jesus, his compassion and his mercy are as infinite as his power and his might. Just as able as he is to heal every affliction, he's compassionate toward his children. And it never runs out. His mercy never fails. Run to him. Find him not only faithful, but able to bear your sickness, your sorrows, and your sin. And in all of this, I'm challenged to think about the current state that many of us are in. We find ourselves with so many needs, whether it's 
physical, financial, family burdens, difficult, difficult things facing all of us every single day. And my question is, very simple. This isn't profound, I don't think, in any way, but it's something that we just, we, we overlook. Have you brought them to Jesus? Do you think that he cares? Do you think that he's able? Not, not just to deliver you from them, he is, but even if he doesn't deliver you, do you think he's able to comfort you in your affliction? Because that's what we forget. We get so focused on if he's gonna take my problems away or not, but what about the beautiful truth that Paul lays out for us in 2 Corinthians? He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction, all of it. He doesn't heal every affliction in this life, but he absolutely brings comfort in all our affliction. And that is a beautiful truth. And here's the thing, it doesn't stop there. So we get to drink from the fountain that never runs dry of the compassion and the mercies of the Lord. And then we're challenged, Paul goes on, he says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. As we all suffer together and share in Christ's sufferings, we also share in comfort together. So that as I experience the comfort of the Lord in my trials and circumstances, I then get to pass that on to somebody else because his compassions are so strong toward his children. I get to share that with those around me. Maybe you hear that and you go, Kenny, how can I, how can I possibly have the strength to comfort others when I don't even know how I'm gonna make it through today? Like you're, you're saying that, I, I get it, but, but I mean, Really, there's some days where I wonder if I'm even gonna make it through, if there's enough comfort for me. How am I I supposed to go out and comfort somebody else? And as I began to wrap up thinking about this passage, the passage came to mind that I could not get away from in Isaiah chapter 53, talking about Jesus, talking about this Messiah who would come. It says this about Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now it would be not only wrong, but I think shallow to look at this passage and say, This means that because Jesus died on the cross, every sickness I ever get, I will be healed from. That's a misinterpretation of this passage. What Isaiah is pointing out is that by the wounds of the Lord, our soul is redeemed, our soul is healed, and that we are bound for a day. We are bound for a day when body and soul both be raised with him, united with him, free of all sorrow, free of all pain. And in the midst of this life, When sorrow comes, when pain comes, we get to look on the one who bore our griefs, who carried our sorrows, who knows what it's like to walk through these things. He's a faithful and merciful high priest. We get to look to him, and even though we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God, he still loved us, his compassion still didn't fail, and he saved us. He knows what it's like to experience weakness and suffering, and he's the victor over it all. His compassion did not end on the cross, by the way. 
We look to the cross and we see his compassion on display, but it didn't end that day. It continues because the author of Lamentations, Jeremiah says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So yes, you have compassion and comfort and mercy available to you from the Lord who bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. And in that, because his mercies are new every morning, because he's your portion, because you don't draw the strength from within yourself, that's how you're able to go out and comfort others. That's how you're able to go out and the comfort with which you've received from the Lord, you are able to pour out into the lives of others because you're not the source of it. You're an ambassador of Christ, comforting others with the comfort with which you have been comforted. And this same Jesus who walked through Galilee, healing every affliction, teaching and proclaiming the gospel, he's shown the light of the gospel in our hearts. By his wounds, we are healed. And we have his mercy that never fails, his compassion that never runs dry. Would you bow your heads with me as we wrap up this time? We're gonna sing one more song before we close our service, but each week, ask for heads bowed and eyes closed simply for reflection, to remove any distraction just for a minute, to think about what you've heard from God's word today and to ask yourself, what does this mean for me? How do I apply this to my life? Maybe for you this morning, the challenge is to be like those in the crowd who brought those who were sick before Jesus. Maybe you've got, maybe it's not a physical illness Maybe there's anxiety in your life. Maybe there's fear, sorrow, pain, whatever it may be. Maybe the application for you is to bring that to Jesus, recognizing that he may not always heal, but he always does what is good. And he's always able to make all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And his compassion never runs dry. His comfort never runs out. So maybe it's for you to bring that to him to find comfort of your Savior today. Maybe, maybe you know somebody in your life who needs this comfort. And your challenge today is to reach out to them because you've been experiencing the comfort of the Lord in your own life and you need to then share that with that person that you know that's struggling to point them to a faithful and merciful Savior in Jesus. I wanna, I wanna pray for us um, and then go into our song together. But the last thing I will say is that if you're in here watching this online, listening to this, and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, when we go through the book of Matthew, we talk about a lot of miraculous things that Jesus did and all of it was meant to be a sign that pointed directly to the work that he would do in the cross to save us from our sin. Because whatever illness we may have, whatever suffering we may experience in this life, our biggest problem is the problem of sin that has separated us from God. And what Jesus came to do is to deliver us from that. By his wounds, we're healed. And so if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, my prayer today is that you would turn from your sin. The Bible says all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's standard of holiness and perfection, deserving of punishment for that. But Jesus came 
to bear that punishment that we deserve, to bear our grief, bear our sorrow, so that by his wounds he could be healed. My prayer for you today, if you've never done that, is to return from your sin and place your faith in Jesus for your salvation, the salvation of your soul. If you still have questions about that, I'd love nothing more than to talk with you about that, to sit down over lunch, whatever it may be. That's the most important decision any of us could ever make is to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. And then for those of us who know Jesus, that we would run to him and find him to be able and willing to heal, to bring comfort and to restore. And so God, as we close out this time, I pray that you would that you would just remind us who you are. You're the God who's able, able to do exceedingly abundantly far beyond anything we could ask or think. And so if we're struggling with something today and we doubt and we question whether or not you could actually do something about that, would you remove our doubt? Would you help our unbelief? Remind us that you are always able and you always do what is right. You always do what is for our good and for your glory. May not always be our plan, but it's always good. Pray that we would submit to you this morning, even as we close this time out and we sing, here's my heart, Lord, speak what is true. Maybe what's true for somebody in here today is that they would hear the words that you spoke to Paul, that your grace is sufficient for them. Your power is made perfect in weakness that they too would be able to boast in their weakness because it's in our weakness that you are strong. Maybe as we say, here's our life, Lord, that means surrendering to your leading us to go to our friend or family member who's struggling to minister to them with the comfort you've given us. Would you continue through your word that has been spoken to speak what is true by your spirit to our hearts, to our minds. May we respond in obedience this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, would you stand for one final song with us as we close?